You are listening to First in Human, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vial, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by co-founder and CEO Simon Burns. With episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Featuring special guest host Todd Kays, VP of Dermatology. For episode 37, we connect with David Beers, President and CEO of Halia Therapeutics. Learn more about the connection between chronic inflammation and disease and how Halia is using their novel therapies to treat both inflammatory disorders and neurological diseases. Hi, I'm Todd Gaze, Vice President of Dermatology at BioHealth Technologies. I'm speaking today with Dave Beers, co-founder, CEO, and president of Halea Therapeutics. Welcome, David. Thank you. It's great to be here, Todd, and looking forward to having a chat with you today. Yeah, I think what you're doing at Halea is great. I have a few questions we can go through. You previously founded companies like Tetragen LLC, Wasai Scientific, and Tolera Pharmaceuticals. How do you think those experiences prepared you for launching Halea in 2020? I've done this a few times now, and, and I've learned through the school of hard knocks. I don't have any business background or, or business degree, but I'm a scientist by heart. But I've learned a lot about the process of translating science and turning that into things that can actually really benefit people. And so that's really what drives me every day and the things that I've learned. You know, I try to mostly learn from my mistakes, right? The things that didn't go right and not to replicate those. But you know, I've had some good successes. I've been able to see a lot of things that we worked on over my career move into clinical development and to drugs that you discovered actually being used by real patients. To me, there's no greater feeling and success I've enjoyed than having stuff that I've worked on actually benefit real people. And the biggest lesson I've learned is that good science is good medicine and good medicine is good business. So if you get the science right, that's where it all starts. And so that's kind of where I come from as a scientist in the business arena is trying to focus on doing the best science that we can and translating that into making good medicines. And if we make good medicines, I'm sure that we can make a business out of that. That's great. I did something very similar coming from the, the bench side of it and jumped on to the pharmaceutical side. Not quite as entrepreneurial as yourself, but well, how do you think Halia sets itself apart from other biopharma companies in approaching drug discovery for inflammation? How do you decide which inflammatory mediated diseases prioritize when you develop new therapies? Yeah, it's a great question. And once again, I guess it goes back to what we just talked about. We really follow the science. And we started the company with actually a really interesting genetic discovery that one of our co-founders made. So we had found a population of people that had a genetic high-risk predisposition for developing neuroinflammatory diseases like Alzheimer's disease. And we actually found that this population of family actually here in Utah has this genetic polymorphism that puts them at risk for developing early onset Alzheimer's. And we made the discovery that they had a second polymorphism or mutation in their family that actually protected them from Alzheimer's. And so the result is they actually had less Alzheimer's in the family that you would expect and so we started the whole company based off of trying to figure out what exactly is driving that and how are these people protected from a strong genetic predisposition that they inherited, but they had this other genetic predisposition that protected them from the other one. So that's what we started the whole company around. And what we discovered is the key to that whole protection had to do with suppression of chronic inflammation. And so 
We found a novel mechanism that looks like something we could develop a drug against. And so we were really the first group to try to target this specific pathway, or at least the specific mechanism within the pathway of targeting inflammation. And we started in the brain and then we discovered the same thing actually is present in basically every chronic inflammatory disease that we've looked at. And so we've systematically in the lab examined the same pathway in inflammation in the skin and the heart and the eyes and the lungs and the liver and the heart and the kidneys. And we've just gone through the whole body and said, does it work everywhere? And, and it looks to be a very common mechanism that gets activated in chronic inflammatory diseases. And so the end part of your question is, how do you figure out what to do? Well, that's the challenge, right? When you have something that potentially works for so many different things, it's been an interesting process to try to figure out well, if I can choose from a hundred different diseases, how do we focus on the right one? And the answer has really been, once again, we try to follow the science. So every drug is unique in its properties. And so we look for clues to tell us this is an oral pill that we've discovered. And where does it go once it gets ingested? Where does it go in the body? And that gives us some clues that if we get really good penetration into the liver and the intestines, but we don't get as good penetration into the brain, then that helps direct things. And so those are the things that we're exploring right now as we've entered early clinical trials is really trying to find what the pharmacology of our drug looks like and how we match that with the potential indications that we can go after clinically. That's great. With the explosion of research into the inflammatory mediated processes in so many diseases, what do you think have been some of the biggest challenges you faced in developing therapies for these? It's been a really interesting process to just watch over my career. When I was a graduate student, I took an immunology class and we were taught chronic inflammation was just the failed resolution of acute inflammation, that you have an acute inflammatory response that just never got turned off. I mean, we thought that way about chronic inflammation for a long time. And what we know now is that these diseases actually activate inflammation in a different way. And that's fairly recent discoveries of how that all happens. And we actually found a big protein complex that can get activated in chronic inflammatory diseases that we call the inflammasome. There's actually multiple of these, but the one that we study is called the NLRP3 inflammasome. And just in the past five years, we've really put the pieces together of how this thing gets activated, how it gets assembled, what it does when it's activated and potentially ways to turn it off. And so one of the challenges that we face is, you know, what's the best targeting strategy? So the inflammasome is like a machine inside the cell that's just putting out signals. One of the approaches that people have tried to take is, well, just blocking the signals that come out of that machine. So the output of the machine, you know, trying to soak up the messages that the machine is creating and others have tried to compete with the enzymatic activity of that big molecular complex. And what we've done that is a little different is we're actually targeting the assembly and promoting the disassembly of this machine. So instead of trying to block its output or to compete for its function, we actually just try to break the whole thing apart. And so that's been trying to figure out the targeting strategy and matching that with the right models and the right disease situations to try to test this. One of the big things that we face is how do you measure chronic inflammation? Because chronic inflammation, as opposed to acute inflammation, in medical school, they teach the doctors that inflammation is associated with swelling, redness, heat, and pain, right? And so chronic inflammation really is not exactly the same. And so you don't get as much redness and heat, you get pain and you get some swelling associated with it, but it's more of a low-grade constant inflammation. And so measuring that and trying to get a sense of, 
is your drug doing what you think it's doing? That's been more challenging than I think a lot of people can imagine. So we try to come up with different ways to measure that. And especially once we get into the clinic and, you know, we can't always go in and take biopsies and sample things that we want to sample from different tissues. So we have to look at surrogates in the blood or in different accessible tissues or fluids from the body to try to get a sense of what's going on. And so those things make clinical development pretty challenging. Do you have biomarkers that you're using and the diagnostics that go along with it that really help with that? One thing that I've learned over the years is having a really good biomarker or a companion diagnostic that you can link your drug to is critically important for making the right decisions early on. I think a lot of bigger companies, you know, they try to run a lot of studies to just try to sort out, you know, what's going on as a smaller company. We can't run 10 different studies, so we have to be as smart as we can at trying to get as much information out of a single clinical trial, whereas a larger company might run four or five clinical trials to get the right answer. So we rely a lot on biomarkers. One thing that's been a challenge of targeting inflammatory diseases is we know that we can measure inflammatory markers in the blood. These are things that we call cytokines or chemokines. They're chemical messengers that are produced by immune cells that talk to the immune system to say, hey, there's a problem over here. You know, recruit these types of cells, come help fix this. And so we can watch that. The problem with that is that those markers tend to go up and down a lot. And so if I measured you in the morning and looked at your cytokines and chemokines in your blood and then measured you in the afternoon, measured you in the evening, every one of those measurements would be different without any intervention. So the big challenge has been how can we find a stable biomarker that is consistently present at a level that we feel confident that we see it go up or down, that that's something that's clinically meaningful. And so One of the things that we've moved towards is instead of looking at soluble circulating biomarkers is isolating cells from the blood and profiling those cells directly. And so we use a lot of what's called single cell proteomic analysis, where we can draw blood and we can isolate what we call peripheral blood mononuclear cells, so white blood cells in the blood, and we can separate those cells into different types of cells. So there's neutrophils and monocytes and macrophages, different cell populations. And so we can isolate those out and we can interrogate and say, what are the messages each one of these populations are actually producing? And we look at that at baseline and then we look at it after treatment and say, okay, how does the treatment change what the signals that those individual cell populations are communicating? We find that to be far more impactful in terms of our ability to understand what's happening to the whole process of inflammation as opposed to focusing on a single circulating biomarker. So that's what we've done and what we're developing. And so when you have something like that, you potentially could come up with a score to say, if this one goes up and this one goes down in this population, then you have kind of a scale that you can compare it to and say, we want to move people from here to here. And that's really helpful in designing and developing a novel therapeutic. It's great with the development of those tools. But you hit on one of my other questions was going to be, Let's talk about your lead compound there, HT61A4. But uh, I've got a familial history of both early onset Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So I'm particularly interested in your HT4253, which I see you're filing an IND for. I think it's planned for Q4 2023. Can you give us a little bit more on the role of the LRRK2 inhibitors like H2 in these diseases? 
So we've known for years that there's a gene called LLRK2 that if you have a specific polymorphism, this was discovered using genome-wide population studies looking at people that have specific early onset Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and then looking at their genetics to see if they have different flavors of genes that might be associated with early onset of these conditions. So LLRK2, or we call it LARC2, LARC2 was discovered years ago, this particular polymorphism was associated with early onset Parkinson's disease. And so people have been studying it for a long time. It happens to be a very druggable target. So it's a class of proteins that are kinases. So they're enzymes that phosphorylate other proteins. And we've been pretty successful at developing kinase inhibitors. What we've tried to do, and the reason why we're interested in this, by the way, is it's tied back to the story that I told you earlier with this population of people that are actually resistant to this other genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's. And what we discovered is LARC2 is actually in the pathway that we found this second mutation in. And so that's why we got interested in it. And so we developed a drug that's slightly different than other LARC2 inhibitors that have been out there. And what we're trying to do is to affect the protein trafficking inside the cell. So one of the things that a cell has to do when it's responding to a signal and specifically in our case, responding to inflammatory signals is they move a lot of proteins around inside the cell. So there's a machinery inside the cell that says we need to put these proteins over here on this side of the cell so they can get together and form this inflammatory complex. So we've discovered that LARC2 plays an important role in that process. And specifically, instead of just targeting its enzymatic activity, it participates in a lot of interactions with other proteins. And so that's the target of our drug is really trying to inhibit not only the enzymatic function of LARC2, but also the way it interacts with other proteins. So we think we've got something that's differentiated, that uh, gets into the brain very well. So that's a challenge for developing drugs that target things in the brain. The brain has a very good barrier for keeping cells and molecules out of the brain that shouldn't be there. We call it the blood-brain barrier. Getting things through the blood-brain barrier is actually a bit of a challenge. So when we develop a drug to target a neurological disease, we want to make sure that drug can get to the right place and stays in the right place in the brain for a while. So our drug really has those characteristics. So we're very excited to see what happens in early clinical studies. And we've designed those studies and we're just wrapping up the regulatory preparation studies that we need to file with the FDA to get the drug into the clinic. That's great news because both of those conditions have absolutely nothing that's particularly effective. And I've seen the debilitating effects of both of them. We always have to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on outside the pharmaceutical world, particularly you know, what kind of research is going on in academia. Are there any new developments or breakthroughs in the field of inflammation drug discovery that you're particularly excited about? It's been fascinating to watch just over the last five years, how much we've learned about the role of inflammation in many different diseases. And, and I think the thing that I'm most excited about is what's happening in the brain because neurological diseases, as you just mentioned, they've been very challenging to develop drugs for. So just this year, there's been three drugs approved for Alzheimer's that before that, we've really had nothing. And some of the older drugs we use to treat Alzheimer's we're not much better than a placebo, to be honest, when we look at the data. So it's been a real challenge to develop effective drugs. And what we've discovered is the importance of inflammation in the brain. And that's what I think I'm quite excited about is not just neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but even other diseases in the brain where 
we're just scratching the surface in our knowledge of what actually drives these things like bipolar depression, autism, things that are really causing severe mental health problems in the country and around the world. We're starting to realize that there's an inflammatory component to these diseases. When we look at people with severe depression and we measure inflammation in their brain, it's much higher than it is in people that don't have depression. And so, you know, is that a potential strategy to try to treat depression in a different way than we've ever tried before is to target the inflammatory component. And so some of those things are very new discoveries. And so no one's even attempted to try this in the clinic, but I think we're going to see some new drugs into the clinic in the next few years that really have the potential to address some of the big challenges that we face right now in the central nervous system and neurological diseases where we've had really no good answers before this. So if you ask me what I'm looking for in the future, those are things that I think all of us are concerned about because there's not a person in the country that hasn't had a connection to one of those types of disorders and diseases. And so I think making breakthrough medicines there is is something I'm very excited about. That's great. I think hearing about all your your developments and, and looking into it, I think you're offering a lot of hope for patients. What do you hope to achieve with Hoya Therapeutics in the future? And, and how do you see the company's role in improving patient outcomes for inflammatory disorders and, and neurological diseases? We're focused on trying to leverage this new mechanism that we've discovered that at least in the laboratory seems to have application in many different diseases. And so what we're trying to do as a company is to come up with strategies that allow us to deliver drugs in different ways to address these disorders all over the body. So for example, we've discovered that we can actually deliver a drug topically with eye drops in the eye to target ocular inflammation. And so we have a program to look at inflammatory diseases in the eye. We have a transdermal patch that we've developed that we can deliver locally through the skin and deliver this mechanism in a way to target things like inflammatory pain. It's something we all experience and certainly people with disorders like osteoarthritis and even after recovery from surgical pain, most of that pain that we experience is actually associated with inflammation. And so if we can direct that locally to the place where we're having the problem, you know, that's pretty exciting. So what we're trying to do is to really see the discovery that we've made, the mechanism that we're trying to target, the way that we target the NLRP3 inflammasome as a platform, as opposed to a single opportunity. And so we're looking at it and say, well, if we can target this mechanism in the skin, how would we do it? How would we do it in the eye? How would we do it in the brain? How would we do it in the joints? And so we're trying to come up with different ways to target different locations in the body and, you know, obviously our lead program is an oral pill that systemically goes a lot of places. And so that's going to be an important part of Polyam moving forward. But we think we've got a platform that we can build off of and target this mechanism using different delivery approaches and be able to come up with not just a single medicine, but many medicines that can target a lot of different human diseases. So that's really as a company, as we've been trying to figure out strategically What's the best first thing to do? And then what do we do after that? And how do we build out that platform? So we're building the foundation. And how do we build pieces after that and put those together? So that's been my job. And and how how do we put all that together? And how do we time it in the right way? And I don't know if I have all the answers, but we're very excited about the opportunities that we have in front of us. Well, great, David. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I think everybody should be excited about the research and development that's going on at Elia. I think there's a lot of promise for a lot of disorders 
and potentially impacting a lot of patients. As I said, particularly my family, uh, as I get old, I can definitely identify with the inflammatory diseases of the joints and all of that. But I really appreciate your time with us and look forward to uh, following Halea as you move forward. Thank you so much, Todd. It was great talking. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google.